Welcome to The Art of Hunting, a podcast that explores the world of wildlife art through the eyes of one of the industry's most talented creators, Ryan Kirby. So whether you're a fellow artist, designer, hunter, or simply someone who appreciates the beauty of the natural world, join us on The Art of Hunting with Ryan Kirby and discover the passion and dedication that drives him. All right, we're live. Um, I don't even know what episode we're on of the Art of Hunting podcast. It doesn't matter. We're just rolling now, man. Um, but no, welcome to the Art of Hunting podcast. We've got our very special. They're all special, but this one's very special because <laughs> he's an in-person guest. Uh, Andrew Maxwell from the uh, Southern Outdoorsman podcast. And what other podcasts? Uh, Southern Waters Fishing. Uh, we produced that one. And then... We got a podcast network with Gun Dog It Yourself, Bird Shot Podcast, Field by the Outdoors, a whole bunch of them. A bunch of them. A bunch of them. He's uh, he's an OG in the podcast world, so we were kind of talking about that before we got on. But um, so we've got the whole family here, and you guys oh, yeah. are in Boone for uh, vacation. Yep, that's right? right. Come up here every year. It's one of our favorite places in the whole world. Um, yeah. Tiffany's still trying to get me to move up here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we got yeah. the wife and kid over here. You might hear some baby sounds. On That's the all right. That's all right. We were talking before. Um, so, how old's Piper? Three months. Yep. Is that right? Turned three months two days ago. Okay. So we, but we've had. So Rhett is seven. Brooklyn's three. So we've had all of the things happen. And Brooklyn is riding her bike through my studio when I'm trying to paint, and mm -hmm. you know all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> there's nothing we haven't seen here. So oh, yeah, uh, we're very kid friendly around here. Uh, she's super fun. I'm trying to get Tiff to go like trout fishing or something with her. You yeah. know, get her get her in like a little wrap, and there we, you go. we're good to go. So I don't know. We went and scouted a stream like two days ago. We might we might go hit it up. We'll see. Yeah. But yeah, she's fun, man. She's right now. She's like she's just starting to make all the like sounds where mm -hmm. she's like cooing and laughing and all this stuff. And um, it's it's awesome. Yeah. It really is. It's awesome. Yeah. So and you guys always come up here on vacation, like every mm -hmm. summer, right? Yeah, every summer. Cool. It's like our we have a family reunion on Tiffany's side up here, and so we all oh. come from you know wherever we live. We got people in Texas, North Carolina. Tennessee, Alabama, Florida, and everyone kind of comes together in this one spot. She has a cabin. Her grandmother has a cabin that's been in their family for 150 years. Holy cow. Pretty slick. And we come up here and we stay there and do our big family reunion. And I was telling you earlier, it's like a nice break from being in Alabama. Yeah. Because it's like at home, it's been like 98 degrees all week. Mm -hmm. And then we left and came up here and the high was like 72. Yep. And it was just like, man. It's, yep. it's the best. <laughs> yeah, that is the thing, man. And, and so when, when Zach moved here, it was uh, it was like December. And it, it rained and was foggy for like two weeks straight. Like just it, it can get kind of nasty in the wintertime. But, man, the summer, it's like heaven on earth. Mm -hmm. And that's why people come to visit Boone is the summer weather. Oh, yeah. For sure. How, how often y'all get snow up here? Um. Well, this year was pretty light. We I bought a I bought a, a a blade for my tractor out here and never used it the okay. entire year, so we didn't have anything. But enough snow that you bought a blade for your tractor. Uh, yeah, I mean that's okay. how it goes. You know, we got a ton of snow the year before, okay. so I bought a blade and then it's just sitting there. But no, we probably get. I bet we get seven or eight snows a winter, and one or two of them will be big ones. You know, like eight, ten inches. Really, not big compared to like a lot of the western mm -hmm. states. But yeah, we'll get we'll get plenty. Okay. We were talking about doing. At some point in the future, like a like a a hunt where we're doing snow tracking, 
Yeah. And I'm wondering exactly how far north we have to go to do that. Because yeah. I mean, we could go up to like the northeast into it, but we know some guys up there yeah. that are really successful doing that. And it just looks fun. Yeah. You know, like you find, you find, you cut like a buck track and you just follow it until you find the deer. That would be awesome. I mean, that's like the most pure kind of like hunting, you know, just like woodsmanship. Yeah. And hearing them talk about it, it sounds super fun. So I don't know. We, we that, might try it sometime. That would be cool. I probably wouldn't recommend it here. You'd have to time it right. But like <laughs> yeah. some of those northern states, like Pennsylvania, New York, and all them, I bet you. Yeah. I oh bet yeah. Some... That'd be the problem getting a reliable snow. Yeah. Man, I was I was looking at some old pictures the other day on my phone, like you know where your phone will do like memories or whatever. And the last time we got a really big snow in central Alabama was I think like twenty seventeen or something like yeah. that. And we got like a big snow and a big snow for us. It was like four inches. Yeah. But it, and it all stuck. It was like four inches of powder. And man, like Tiffany was stranded somewhere and I couldn't get to her. So I was like, well, I'm going hunting because <laughs> you know, I have a deer season. And uh, man, we went out there and we tried to do the whole snow tracking thing. And yeah. we, we get snow like so rarely in Alabama that when it snows, the deer like shut down. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was hard to find a single track because they just, they don't want to move. They're yeah. like, what is happening? Like, yeah. what's going on? Pretty much just like the people, you know, <laughs> like, pretty much just like, because the entire town shut down, you know, there's no milk or bread in the, in the stores. Yeah. Like it's mass panic. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the deer do that too. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we have a little bit of that. A lot of people, a lot of people are kind of used to the snow mm -hmm. and, and in the Midwest, like we drove in snow all the time, but yeah, there's definitely like some college kids that are not used to the snow and all that. The thing that people do around here, and I've got a buddy that has a, a big landscaping company and they do snow removal and plow and stuff, but everybody's driveway is on an incline. Mm -hmm. So they'll park their car in the road at the bottom of the hill. And I bet the amount of times that like, there's a, you know, Prius parked at the bottom of the hill, like oh, yeah. in the road. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine those guys. It probably drives them nuts to like have to swerve around the car and keep plowing snow. We had something in uh, 2014. Everyone calls it the snowpocalypse <laughs> in Central Alabama. Anybody from Central Alabama knows exactly what I'm talking about right now. It was a snowpocalypse because they thought it was going to like, I think they thought it was going to be like a dusting or whatever. Yeah. And it, it was like freezing snow. It, like for, I don't know, like two or three inches of snow mm -hmm. and it froze on the roads. And it yeah. was like, it was like, uh, it was like an apocalypse. It really was like, there was cars in the ditches, like flipped <laughs> over, like people walking up and down the interstates, like yeah. people sleeping at the office. Like, dude, it was like a complete disaster. Yeah. Like, you can go look at pictures. It looks like, it looks like the walking dead or something. I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And people in the South, like, especially, you know, we're in the mountains, so we get some snow, but you go 45 minutes off the mountain and like, they don't get it. They don't get snow. Yeah. You don't, you're not, a, you, they don't have the trucks or the salt or anything mm -hmm. like in place to really handle that. Yeah. So, that's another thing. Hard. That's another reason I was wondering about it. Cause you're, you're so high up here, like in this area, but really all up and down the Appalachian mountains mm -hmm. that, I, I guess at the higher elevations, you just, you get more snow and yeah. we really want to do a hunt in this kind of terrain. Like we mm -hmm. got some friends in uh, Virginia and West Virginia, we might go do something with, mm -hmm. but hunting like actual mountains like this. Cause we, the, the Appalachian mountains end in Alabama, you yeah. know? And so kind of the Northeast corner of Alabama is like the, the, where it stops. Yeah. And we've hunted some stuff up there in the past. And that's like, those are our mountain hunts, you yeah. know? 
But dude, you come up here and it's just like, yeah, that wasn't a mountain hunt. <laughs> it's like, no, we're hunting like foothills, like ridges. This is what people up here would call like a ridge or a hill. Yeah. You know? And for us, we're like, oh, it's a mountain, you know? <laughs> well, but, I remember like hearing some of the like the early Primo's turkey hunt days, like guys in the deep, deep south would be like, Yeah, that ridge up there, and it's like four feet elevation oh. change in the swamp. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about that as like a oh, ridge. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fun thing about interviewing deer hunters around the country because mm-hmm. we get exposed to a lot of that. Like pretty much anybody we talk to in Arkansas mm-hmm. who hunts that southeast Arkansas, like river bottom type stuff, that's what they talk about. A ridge yeah. is this big. Yeah. You know, and it's just, it's literally two feet, but that's what they call a ridge. And so they'll use like LIDAR maps and stuff to find a two foot elevation gain, but it makes this huge difference for them because there's something, there's something else growing on top of that ridge because it's just different enough that, you know, on the bottom, it's this kind of oak. And then on this two foot incline, that's crazy. It's like a nut all oak or, or something or an overcup oak. Some other kind of oak tree grows up here and the deer are attracted to it. Yeah. So it's interesting, man. Like going from that to here. Yeah. You know, cause we're, we're trying to do, like we were talking before we got started about starting videos back up and, yeah. and trying to film stuff. And we're trying to do like a tour of the South over the next couple of years. Yeah. And we're going to hunt like this year, we're going to hunt Bama, Georgia, Arkansas, Mississippi, maybe Tennessee. Yeah. And then next year we'll hunt like other state, like Louisiana. Come here, man. We should. It'd be awesome, dude. Attempt it. That's what I'm saying. Like next year we're looking at like, where can we go do a mountain <clears throat> hunt, you mm-hmm. know? And, uh, and get some like actual serious terrain in, because one thing that's cool about this kind of terrain is we interview a lot of guys who are successful in the mountains. We've yeah. interviewed people from North Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, Tennessee, and Arkansas, and yeah. they all hunt mountains. They're, you know, a little bit different from place to place, but they're all also kind of the same. And what always holds true is the terrain, like that yep. terrain influences the deer so much that you have to, we, we call it like trust the terrain. Mm-hmm. And even on a smaller scale in Alabama and our foothills, it still holds true where if you have really aggressive terrain, the deer have to use it in a certain way. Yep. They might not have to, but they're greatly, greatly encouraged to. And so then you come up to a place like this and you go driving around in the mountains. And I mean, it is like that off the side of the yeah. road. You're like, okay. Like we can do something with this. Yeah. Because at first we were driving around, me and Tiff were driving around around here. And I was like, I don't even know how I'd begin to hunt this. Cause it's just like, all of it's like a cliff covered with rhododendron, like all of it. (laughs) And then we were driving and I was like, you know what? Actually, I think I do know how I'd hunt this. Mm -hmm. Cause I started looking at the topo map. We were driving around and I had on X on the car play thing. Oh, driving out here. Oh yeah. That's the best. And so I was looking at it. Well, there's a little bench up there. Here's a, here's a shelf right here. That's what so-and-so talked about. And so my mind is like spinning with this stuff, dude. Mm -hmm. So we had a big deer that showed up at the end of the year right here. So we have eight acres right Mm -hmm. here. And I would, I put a buddy stand up to take rent, just kind of total jacking around deer stand place. He could see some deer and we could go, it'd be easy. But, um, we had a big deer show up and I didn't, I didn't get him killed in bow season, but we went and scouted like in February when we were shed hunting Mm -hmm. and I was following trails and all that kind of stuff. And, and just like you're talking about, like the deer are going to bed here. You you could just see it. And I yeah. like, I like scouting in January, February when all the leaves are off, the, the mm-hmm. trails are beat down, Oh yeah, but you could totally tell how they use the, the terrain off of here. What, what is it? What's a big deer like for you guys up here? This one here, actually, here's a shed right here. That's so this, 
This, oh, uh, right. That one here, he's got a nice chop rack. Dang. And I mean, he, that is a big old deer. I'll have to um, show you pictures. He had the, he had the suede back pot belly. I mean, oh, he's yeah. like six and a half. Mass you know, carries all the way out. Deer. Yeah. Um, but I scored him. His right side has four points, so he's a nine-pointer. You just got that little kicker. But he's a 140-inch deer. Yeah. You know, I gave him a 16-inch spread, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's what I'm No, he's about. a 140-inch deer. Now, that's a big deer. There was a there was a 168 killed just up the road here earlier. Um, but, man, a deer like that's like a 200-inch deer in the Midwest. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, oh, yeah. that's... that's uh, that deer, everybody knows when you have you seen the big non typical. Everybody knows that deer, mm-hmm. you know, and he's oh, yeah. 170. So yeah. that's awesome. Um, I always wondered about that because I, a lot, I, I kind of tend to assume that mountainous places like this have a low deer density. Mm-hmm. But honestly, driving around like just around Boone, like a town of Boone, I see a lot of deer. It's crazy high. Yeah. Really? Crazy high. I mean, <clears throat> we'll drive here. You know, if you drive this road at, at you know, sunset, you'll see 10, 15 between mm-hmm. here and 421. Yeah. I mean, we'd sit in this buddy stand and see 15, 20 deer in a That's night. That's crazy. You know, I mean, it, it's really high, but then you look and it's like, it's nothing but rhododendron. Like, what do these deer eat? And yeah. we were feeding corn late into the into the winter, like after season through. Mm-hmm. And dude, you'd look out the window and there'd be 20, 25 deer feeding down yeah. there. There's a lot of deer. Yeah, it's pretty cool, man. Like, there's not there's not like a lot of public like right here around town. A lot of it seems to be like Christmas tree farms. Yeah, like private. And I I thought the same thing. I'm like, what do they eat? Yeah. But one thing that I was talking to Tiffany about every year when we come up here, it's so lush up in the mountains. Yeah. Like if you've got like an embankment that's getting some sun, it is just like exploding with flowers and all kinds of stuff. There's freaking mm-hmm. apple trees all over the place. Like it's just different. So I guess there's like a lot of native forage, but I thought the same thing. Well, that rhododendron, man, yeah, like it is crazy yeah. how thick it is. Yeah. And there's a lot of it, yeah. like a ton, like a whole mountainside yeah. is that. And like it's just cool talking to different guys who are successful in areas like this. I don't think we've interviewed anybody from like right here, mm-hmm. but pretty close to here. And then coming up here and actually seeing what it looks like in person, I'm like, I have a whole new respect for you being able to kill a mature buck in here yep. every year or every other year. Yep. You know, I've cool. got some buddies. I've got uh, guys that do it on a regular basis. And it really is, you know, it's tough because baiting is a hard part of it. Like mm-hmm. you're really not going to hunt the oaks and uh, and all that kind of stuff that much. Um, the guys that do it regular put a ton of bait out. And then when they when they get a deer that they want to kill, they kind of hone in on that one. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but man, it it really is like January, February. It's hard because there's not a lot for them to mm-hmm. eat, really. Yeah. You know, it's we, pretty stripped bare. We we talked to some guys who do it in early season. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember. I don't think they're in. I guess they are in North Carolina. I can't remember what part they're in though. And, but their whole thing is they're targeting deer coming down off the mountains onto that private. Yep. And they're hunting the public. And basically their goal is to find something in the bottom that the deer are going to be feeding on. And it could yep. be like a cattle pasture, you know, something green down yep. there. Because all of these mountains around here, closed canopy forest, there's really nothing for them in there. So they got to travel to go eat. And they might find like a like a hot oak tree, you know, coming yep. down a finger ridge 
where this buck is bedded way up here on some little spur up against a rock bluff or something. And halfway down this finger ridge, there's an oak. And then at the bottom of it, there's some kind of field or something that he's going to eat at. Mm -hmm. And they get in there and they catch him in between. Yep. And that's like, again, that's just like some premier woodsmanship. Like you got to really know what you're looking for to do that. But they do it consistently. And they're, they're like the only guys that we've talked to, I think, that do it in early season. Yeah. Pretty much everybody else is hunting like terrain features and the edges of these rhododendron and mountain laurel thickets in the yep. rut with a rifle. And that's how they're having success. Yep. So that's probably when we would come up. I don't know. Yeah. We're going to try to time it probably with a rut hunt. I'm, a lot of guys hunt muzzleloader too. Muzzleloader is a big one up really? here because it comes in before rifle. Mm-hmm. So a lot of guys will do really well during muzzleloader season up here. Yeah. But. Well, well, now also is is y'all's rut like kind of early November? Yeah, it's pretty typical when, it, when it's like supposed to be. It, yeah, it's it's a little bit later. I would feel like, and and again, you know, like there's a really high deer density. Hundred percent, we don't have a good buck to doe ratio. You mm-hmm. know, it, that's that's going to be out of whack because there's still a lot of like brown that's down yeah. type, which is fine. But there's there's um. So the rut isn't that like, like I go back to Illinois to deer hunt during the rut because it's the intense, you know, a lot of competition. First two weeks in November, I wouldn't miss in Illinois. Mm -hmm. I feel like it gets really starts getting heated up about Thanksgiving around here. And that's also when rifle season opens. So maybe that, that I'm sure that has a part of it to do like more guys do well during rifle, Mm -hmm. but um, that, that muzzleloader and the opening day rifle season is when a lot of bucks get shot. Okay. Interesting. Here. Cause you, like, you know, in Alabama, it's like all over the place for us. Yeah. You know, we got January rut, February rut, yeah. December rut, you know, like just depending on where you're at. So you can kind of like chase it, you know, around the state and yep. you can hunt rutting deer from early November to February 10th. That's Alabama. crazy. Yeah. It's pretty, it's, it's nice cause it gives us flexibility too, because I can come, I can go anywhere, you know, I can go this year. We're going to go to Arkansas in November and we're going to hunt mid November in Arkansas for the rifle opener. And we're going to be hunting rutting deer. And pretty much from that point on until February, I'm going to be hunting rutting deer somewhere. That's crazy. We're going to hit the rut there. We're going to go somewhere in Alabama and hit a mid December rut. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to go somewhere and hit an early January rut, then a mid January rut. And if, we're not burned out at that point. We'll go somewhere for a February rut, you know, down the South Alabama. Yeah. Where it's how February far, 10th. How far away are these like pockets of, and, and, and is it consistently like, Hey, this County, they run in February. The, oh yeah. It's that oh, yeah. dialed in big time. Well, it can even be, there's a certain place in, in Alabama that I've hunted before. And I, I try to not give too many details cause it, you could figure out where it is pretty easily, mm-hmm. but this place is not very big and it has a November rut. Like I'm talking, I've had big mature bucks chase does by me on like November 12th, November 14th in that area. And that's about as early as it gets in Alabama. Um, About three miles down the road, there's another place I've hunted where it is mid January, straight up mid January rut. And they're, they're very distinct. There's like a, you know, obviously there's going to be some overlap, but it can be that close. I mean, yeah. literally right down the road and it's consistent every year. Like, you know, that if you go to X place on these dates, they're going to be rutting. And, you know, depending on where you live in the state, I live kind of in the central part of the state. I'm never more than two hours away from hard rutting deer at yeah. some point in the season. You know, I can drive north, south, whatever. 
and I can go get on rutting deer within two hours of my house. That's from, crazy. I mean, like the whole year. <laughs> so were you born and raised in Alabama? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm originally from the Birmingham area, the, okay. a town called Helena. Everyone else in the country pronounces it Helena. Yeah. But not in Alabama, baby. <laughs> we, we pronounce it Helena. Helena. <laughs> so, yeah, I grew up hunting around there on hunting clubs and stuff, which is like a really southern thing. I, y'all, you'll probably have hunting clubs in North Carolina, but like, you know, it'd just be like a lease, a uh, couple thousand acres with like 15 to 40 guys on it, you know, depending yeah. on how big the club is and, and how expensive it is. Yeah. And uh, grew up hunting that and then hunted public land thereafter. Okay. For like, since, really since I was a kid, but exclusively since I was like 16. Yeah. So. My buddy Jared, his dad, they live in Snowville, north of Atlanta, and uh, they have an avenue. We, we were asking directions. It's like, yeah, you take a ride on Ponce de Leon Avenue. <laughs> and I'm like, Ponce de Leon? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you mean Ponce de Leon, like the Spanish or French explorer? Like, <laughs> it's not Ponce de Leon. <laughs> Ponce de Leon. <laughs> like, it's Ponce de Leon around here. I was like, I'm pretty sure that guy was like a Spanish explorer. I and love the South. Yeah, it that's wasn't awesome. Ponce de Leon. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. But so how did... Uh, Tell me about the podcast, like the early days of the mm-hmm. podcast. Like how how did that come about? I don't even know. Sometimes like it feels like it it feels like uh I don't know, man. How old were you when it started? I was 19 probably. Dude, okay. Or maybe I was 20. I it was before I could legally drink. I know that. Yeah. So, um like my backstory, I I started hunting when I was a kid with my dad yeah. and grandfather. Did a lot of squirrel hunting. Um, they they grew up in Walker County, Alabama, so around Cordova, if people know where that is, Jasper, Cordova area. And even today, there's not like a ton of deer in that part of Alabama, but especially yeah. back in like the 70s, it was kind of like the classic thing you hear. If you found a deer track, it was like a big deal. You went and told yeah. everyone. So they were all small game hunters. They yeah. hunted dove, rabbit, squirrel, you know, whatever. They had Weimaraners. They hunted quail. And when... I was born, I guess my dad just wanted to get into deer hunting because they'd never really done it before. He'd never killed a deer. My grandfather never killed a deer. So we joined some hunting clubs and like, man, God bless them. They were just not good at deer hunting. <laughs> like They just weren't, man. We did a lot of squirrel and stuff. We could we could go put a hurt on some squirrels, but the deer hunting yeah. we just struggled with. And uh, we hunted, you know, throughout my entire childhood. And I killed a couple deer. They both killed their first deer. I killed my first deer. It was great. And then when I was 14, my dad passed away suddenly. So I didn't really have a place to go after that. Mm-hmm. Well, thankfully, I had one of my best friends at the time. I think I was in like seventh grade or or no, I was in like ninth grade. I was a freshman in high school. And one of my best friends I'd been hunting with a little bit. And his dad is like a great deer hunter, a really great, just an all-around woodsman. And they kind of took me under their wing and they would like take me to their hunting club, which was if again, given some Alabama geography here, but it's right next to Tannehill State Park. And it was just great hunting. It was like all upland hardwoods. It was on the end of Shades Mountain. So it was like kind of mountainous hunting. And uh, I killed a bunch of deer out there, killed like my first like good buck out there. And I had Mr. Benny, his dad, to kind of teach me the ropes. Mm-hmm. Well, I was still limited to only going with them like 
whenever I got invited, basically, which they all, I was always welcome, but you know, I was like 16. I was like ready to roll. Yeah. I had a driver's license yeah. and, a, and, and an a itchy blazer, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I was ready to go. <laughs> and so we had some local WMAs and I started going out to those local WMAs. And so basically I was like that 16 year old who didn't know what he was doing. I mean, like did not know what he was doing at yeah. all. It was pretty intimidating, like going out there and trying to figure it out on my own. Yeah. And Jacob was kind of the same way. His dad didn't hunt. His uncles got him into hunting. And his uncle has like a 90-acre farm in Bibb County, which we started doing some videos with. We're doing like habitat work out there right now, doing some like native prairie stuff. And uh, But Jacob back then, his uncle was like a very big, like he's he's going to manage for like trophy deer. And for Jacob, again, as being a teenager, well, he's kind of bloodthirsty. You know, like yeah. he's, he's not wanting to wait for that five-and-a-half-year-old buck. <laughs> so, you know, he lived local to the WMA, too. So he started going out there some, and, and he kind of cut his teeth doing the same thing. And we eventually met, and we just started hunting together a whole bunch. And at that same time, we were listening to Wired to Hunt a lot. Oh, yeah. Because Wired to Hunt, he'd been around for a couple of years already, but he was, like, pretty much the only hunting podcast that we were aware of. Mm-hmm. And it was great. But he's talking to dudes in Michigan and Iowa mm-hmm. and Wisconsin, you know, and it was really, really good content. But we were like, man, like, I just don't even know what they're talking about because they're talking about like hunting a pinch point funnels in the rut. And they're talking in, in context of like a cornfield or something yep. or like a bean field. And meanwhile, I'm looking at 400 acres of pine trees and I'm like, yeah. Uh. Like, I don't know what to do with this. It's way different. Yeah. And, and so we were talking about it one day with some buddies of ours, and they were like, why don't y'all just start a podcast? And, like, I had been doing a little bit of writing at the time for, like, Alabama Outdoor News and Georgia Outdoor News. Mm-hmm. Because I I was, this is the time where I'm, like, going into college, and I'm, like, trying to figure out what I want to do. And I'm like, I want to be an outdoor writer. That sounds fun. You know, like, that. that's what my passion is. I want to try to do that. And so I was writing for those, and I couldn't. I couldn't get into like Field and Stream or something like that, like a yeah. premium print. Because first of all, I had no business being in like Field and Stream at that time, <laughs> like at all. But I'm like, I just need to like keep going and publishing stuff and and like build a portfolio or whatever. So anything that I wasn't selling to AON or GON, I was going to go put on my own website. And so in 2017, I bought the dot com. And so I was already doing that. And then by the time people were like, y'all should just start a podcast for like Southern people. I was like, okay, we let's do it. And it was early 2018, and I was trying to get Jacob to do it with me. And he didn't want to do it at first, like yeah. at all. I was like, dude, we could do it for real. And eventually, if if you know Jacob, like at first when you tell him about something, he's going to be like, no, that's stupid. Like he's not going to listen. But if you get him fired up about it, like yeah. you'll never hear the end of it. He's going to take it, and he's going to run. We call it going full Jacob with it. Like he's going to go full <laughs> Jacob, dude. And so that's what happened. So we bought like a $30 microphone off Amazon, one of those like Yeti snowballs, you know, like USB microphone. And I mean, dude, just started from there. I mean, literally just started the podcast. And our goal was just to like interview people who were good deer hunters for our area. And so we already knew a couple people who we were interested in. Yeah. We started interviewing them and kind of got our feet up under us and, uh, and I don't know why we were so committed to it at first. Cause like we were never like, of course, when we first started, we we're like, man, what if we could like do this? Like, like that was in the back of your mind, but we weren't talking about it. Like we're going to do this, you know? Mm-hmm. And we just kind of started doing it as like a passion thing. And then 
for whatever reason, we were like so committed. We never missed a Monday. So we picked Monday as our day that we're going to drop them. Yep. Still never missed a Monday. We're 490 episodes in. Dang, man. <laughs> never missed one. And then, you know, I think we were, it was like year three of the podcast. I think I was still in college. Jacob dropped out of college and he got a sales job. Okay. And we went to ATA because we were like, we should probably go to ATA and like cover some stuff. Because we were like really, really into like the mobile hunting stuff. And we're like, let's go mm-hmm. see all the new gear and film it and put it on YouTube or whatever. And we just went and talked to all these people who were like in the hunting industry that week. And Jake was living in Nashville at the time and I was living in Auburn, Alabama. And we drove back to Nashville and I was getting my truck at his apartment and we'd like sat there and talked for like three hours after we got back from ATA. And I was like, dude, I think we could like actually do this. Like for real, we could do this. If we look at this as a business and like figure out how to monetize it and actually yeah. do it as a business. And like that conversation wasn't like the turning point, but that was like the first time that, that at least I realized like there's actually, we could do this for real. Mm-hmm. And ever since that point, we kind of started working towards that goal and like here we are like five years later dude it's been it's been crazy like i can't believe it's been five years and 490 episodes but like we've come a long ways from just not even from just the the interview standpoint but also like the business standpoint of like how to actually run a business and and make this a business and also have it keep its integrity yep because that was one thing that we were really worried about in the hunting industry. Like, I mean, I'm sure you know. Like, the hunting industry. Oh, I've is, seen it, man. It's, it's pretty trashy. Like, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And so we're like trying to avoid that. You know, like, how do we, how do we yeah. monetize and not like sell our soul per se? And it took us a long time to figure that out. But we, we didn't even monetize for like three and a half years. Yeah. Like, nothing. And then when we did monetize, we were trying to figure out how to do it tastefully, you yeah. know, where we could keep control of everything we do yep and it it took a really long time but like we accomplished that we we have no bars on anything we can do whatever we want and we got good partners we can work with and we we figured out how to have our cake and eat it too in that regard yeah so yeah it's been it's been a while and that's good man because that is the hard thing man when you and by monetizing i'm assuming you're talking about sponsors yeah sponsors but, but also i mean it could monetizing could be anything it could be selling merchandise which yeah. we're absolutely horrible at doing <laughs> we're so bad man. we were at the mobile hunters expo two weeks ago and everyone's like are y'all already out of hats i'm like we ran out of hats four months ago <laughs> i just didn't order anymore <laughs> dude uh, our crew they've been hounding me on apparel and and we're doing it we're we're in the final stages of getting it approved but um you know, there like there's certain things like we we've actually gotten really good and streamlined all on all our print sales and everything. But the the merch stuff, like the the hats and mm-hmm. t-shirts and stuff, I'm oh, bad about bro. it too. Yeah, it's but, tough. It's yeah. tough. But yeah, even the sponsor thing too. The sponsor thing is kind of hard because, I mean, there's people who will. I mean, there are people who like give you money to use a product that you've never used that you don't believe in. Oh yeah. Or, or maybe the company itself is like unethical. Like mm-hmm. maybe they got some poachers on their pro staff. Yeah. Like straight up. They got yeah. some poachers on their pro staff. Like we wanted to avoid working with people like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and that just, you ha- if you're going to do that, and this is like for anybody who maybe wants to start their own thing, if you want to do that, you're going to have to like build your platform to a point where you can like go to people and actually have value for them, you know? And, yeah. and so you can pick who you work with because all of our partners, every single one of them are people that we've been using since 
before we had a podcast, if they yeah. existed back then, you know, like, like first light, I've been using them since like 2017 mm-hmm. on X. I remember when on X wasn't even an app yet. And I was like waiting for them when they first made the app, they didn't even have Alabama for their property <laughs> layers. Okay. And I was like waiting for them to make Alabama. Cause I'm like, Oh, this could be a game changer. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. So that's how long I've been using on X and they're yeah. like, they're like our biggest partner. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, just, like we just wanted to grow it to a point where we could choose who we worked with, yep. you know, and be purposeful about it. And it, it's paid off, you know, we don't make yeah. as much money as we could, yeah, but it's worth it. Well, that's cool though, man. Cause I mean, you're doing it. Um, I don't know. You're, you're not doing anything through gritted teeth. Like you're doing it tastefully. It's natural. You want to use that stuff, but mm-hmm. you know, I've seen, there's plenty of things in the, in the outdoor industry that make me want to throw up in my mouth, especially <laughs> when it comes to like marketing and advertising and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you do. You do get some people, and I feel like when camera gear got accessible to everyone, mm-hmm. you guys want to, I'm going to start my own TV show, and me and my <laughs> wife, we're going to be the next Lee and Tiffany, and yep. will you sponsor us? And they haven't done anything yet. They just want oh, yeah. money to start, and it's just like, ugh. But it's cool yeah. you guys did it. I mean, dude, three and a half years is a long time. That's a long side hustle. Oh, you just asked Tiffany long about that. side hustle. And she was like, she's like, hey. <laughs> She's sitting over here. She's like, it got she got to a look point. on your face, on oh. her face, like, oh yeah, because Tiffany's been through all of it, man. I've been with her for ten years, yeah, and yeah. So she's she's seen the podcast, you know, from the very very start when like everyone was like, you're starting a podcast, huh? You know, yeah. <laughs> like that kind of thing. <laughs> to like now, what it is, yeah, man. It, it got to a point where because I mean, it's a big commit. I mean, you got a podcast now, you know, yeah. But back then, it was like, gosh, man. That Sunday or that the Monday due date, we were so committed to it that like with us being procrastinators and being unorganized and and honestly being like, you know, like kind of stupid, like 21 year olds or whatever. There was a lot. uh, And I mean, a lot of nights where we were recording at like 945 p.m. on Sunday. Yeah. And we record a freaking two hour podcast. And then I'm sitting there till two o'clock in the morning editing it. Yeah. And then as soon as I'm done, I just post it because it's Monday morning. Yeah. <laughs> like There was a lot of days like that, like a whole bunch of days like that. And ironically, yeah. some of our really good episodes from back in the day came from that where, yeah. I don't know, we just like threw something together and it ended up being like really good. Yeah. You know? but yeah. There's a, there's a lot of that. And, you know, Tiffany's put up with a lot with it. <laughs> we, <lot. laughs> we've done it. We do every Tuesday and I've seen the value of like doing consistency over mm-hmm. time. That's how you get really good at something oh, rather yeah. than just, you know, just winging it. Like, I mean, I get that all the time. Um, creating art. Like I don't wait till I'm inspired. Like I can't oh. wait till I'm inspired to do something. I got to show up and count on the inspiration coming. And I'm sure there were probably a lot of episodes where you're like, I got nothing. I don't know what mm-hmm. we're going to do. I don't mm-hmm. know what we're going to talk about. I don't really care. We just have to get an episode out oh and my just do it anyway. Gosh, dude. Sometimes gonna, those are your best ones. You want to talk about a rabbit hole? We could go down. Yeah. Let's go down it. There, there's a lot. I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot of <laughs> stuff like that. I mean, yeah, you can't like, you can't, you, we got the podcast network now. Yeah. We're, we're bringing other people in like high quality shows. Mm-hmm. We're bringing them in and we're helping them because also we got, like I mentioned earlier, Nick Adair from Gundog It Yourself. He's like us. Yeah. He started like a year after us. We helped him start his podcast. He's a full-time podcaster now. Okay. And and he's got a really successful show in the Upland kind of Gundog space. And uh, 
it's it's me and Jacob along with him, and we take shows in and we help them grow, and we get a lot of established shows. But there's a couple guys who we're working with who don't have shows yet; they're just starting, and they'll we'll be giving them advice. And I had someone ask like, how often should we post? And I was like, you could do bi-weekly if you want. I'd recommend doing weekly, but if you're not going to make it part of your routine and stick on that schedule, yep. don't even, don't even try like yep. for real. Don't even buy the gear. Don't, don't even worry about trying to set it up. If you're not going to make it part of your routine and be committed to it, don't even try. Yep. And, and like you said, you can't like wait on the inspiration to come to you. you just, it's like, it's like working out in the morning. Like you yep. can't, if you just work out when you feel like working out, like you're going to get fat probably. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. like you just, you got to do it even when you don't feel like doing it. And, and there can't be any excuse of like, of why you're not doing it, you yep. know? And even when you don't feel like it and when you're, especially when you're publishing it, like a cadence, like what we do, I mean, you can get really burned out and, me and Jacob, we'll, we'll do something like we, we had a big talk about it a couple of weeks ago with Nick. We were all talking about like when you when you produce content this much on something that you love to do so much, you kind of like lose a little bit of fire. You can get burned out. Yeah. And so we'll go. We'll, we call it like getting the soul back or whatever. Yeah. Like we'll just go do something fun. It's like, let's leave the cameras. Let's not do anything. Let's like let's go scout a new place let's go hunt somewhere and not even worry about filming it or whatever yep. or doing something with it. Like, let's go and remember like why we like doing this, you know, and that's been a big part of it. I mean, you, you have to like be intentional about that kind of thing too. Yeah. To, I don't know, maintain like that, that inspiration or whatever. Cause I could quit doing the podcast and just hunt and I'd be perfectly happy, you know, yeah. but it's like when you're doing both and I can't go hunting because of the podcast, Yeah, that's when it becomes a grind. And I'm like, do I really like doing this that much? <laughs> like, you know, and you got to like figure out why you like doing it again, which yeah. also on that note, a big thing for me on in that regard was the mobile hunters expo in Chattanooga or dude, it was just like our people were there. I yeah. mean, it was awesome. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even, I was there all day Saturday and I, I like I hardly even got to go take a pee break. Like, <laughs> I was talking to people all day about deer hunting and it was like, okay, this is fun. Yeah. Like this is why we do it. These are like our people. Everyone's fired up. Everyone's passionate. And, and it's just like, it's like food for the soul. That's what mm -hmm. I said on the podcast the other day. Got a bunch of reactions out of it. It's like food for the soul, man. <laughs> when you get to go hang out with people like that who are like-minded and, and just get to go have a good time, it kind of relights that fire underneath yeah. you. Yeah. So I'm sure you probably deal with some of the same stuff. Yeah, I mean, we're totally with with the creative side. Um, you know, I've it's it's kind of it, it. So I've worked in the outdoor industry from day one. I started the Turkey Federation. We talked about it, that yeah. on you guys' podcast. But um, man, I'm I, anymore. I just I don't want to turn hunting into work. Mm -hmm. And oh, yeah. man, it's so hard because you do have to remember why you're, you're doing it and having, having kids now helps a lot because I'll take Rhett and like, he's all wide eyed, you know, we, <laughs> we were sitting there and, um, we, a doe came out. We were sitting down here at the end and he started getting all, <laughs> you know, and I was like, yeah, you're right, dude. He's like, yeah, I'm just excited, you know? And, <laughs> and you start doing stuff like that and you, you realize why you, you do mm -hmm. it. But, um, Man, I'm I'm anymore hunting needs to be my refuge and not a source oh, of work. Yeah. And and even when I was doing a lot of print advertising and working a lot with Winchester and Browning, 
I would take my whole office to Illinois with me. I'd be packing up hard drives and iMacs and all kinds of crap mm. and working there. And now I'm like, man, that's got to be a refuge. That's got to be an untouchable place that oh, yeah. that I used to like get my soul back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. To get the soul back, man. Yeah. There's so. really something to it. Uh, I mean, it, I mean, it really can't be overstated. I mean, you gotta, yeah. you gotta like make time for that kind of thing. And and that's one reason we talked about our YouTube channel. We like, we quit doing YouTube videos pretty much quit outside of like, if there was something just like too easy, like, like a, like a review on like my backpack or something. Yeah. Cause we had people asking about it. Like we do that, but hunts and stuff, we quit doing that in like 2018 Yeah, because it was too much to do yeah. the podcast and that. It was yeah. just like a drag. And, and I felt like we weren't doing either one of them very good. Yep. And so we just stopped the videos and just focused on the podcast. And I, I feel like we got really good at doing the podcast and figured out how to do it and how to replicate like a very high quality episode every yeah. single week. And I'm like, once this is kind of cruising and we really know what we're doing, we'll come back to the video. Yep. And so that's what we're doing. Yep. But even now, we're not going to do like the whole vlog, YouTube, hunting thing. We're going to do like longer like films, you know, where oh, we're, yeah. we're trying to capture like it, like if we're going to go hunt a swamp in Alabama, yep. like I want to capture like an Alabama swamp hunt and like the mm-hmm. culture behind it. Um, just like what it's like to be in that camp. And and I and I want I want like the the tips or whatever that we talk about the podcast to come through as well. Mm-hmm. So like I want to get like a guest and have them on the hunt. And you know it's like so and so talks about doing this in the swamp. Well, here he is in this video doing that. Mm-hmm. So you can listen on the podcast now. You can see it, but also it's more like I don't want to say like lifestyle kind of stuff, but yeah, you know what I'm saying, like. It, it's it's more like meat eater esque rather than more of like a bone collector type thing. Yeah. Nothing wrong with bone collector, like in like the you know highlight reel hunt, you know pump you up. But I just want something that that shows like the southern culture, and so yep. we're going to try to do that. But also because of that, it gives us more flexibility because I don't have to go through and like film every single thing I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And also, there's hunts that we're just not going to film because yep. maybe it, maybe it's like a like such a specific kind of hunt in a specific kind of area that people are going to know where you're at. So we're like, we just won't film that one, you know, like, cause we're, yeah. we try to be really secretive about where we're going, you know, yeah. cause we don't want to burn somebody's spot or whatever. So like there's certain hunts we got on the docket this fall where we're like, yeah, we're not gonna worry about filming that one, you know? Yeah. And then, but then there's other ones where we feel like we can hide it really well and kind of throw people off. We'll go film that one. You know? Yeah. But I think I'm excited because I think it's going to it's going to be fun to do, but it's not going to be like overwhelming or anything like that. Yeah. Because we did it with two hunts last year and it was a blast. Yeah. It was, it was really fun. And we got some great footage that we're sitting on right now <laughs> and I just have no time to edit, but it, yeah. it'll get done eventually. Yeah. One of these years. <laughs> Since I've lived in the South, I've noticed that like the the culture, the tradition, like there's a lot, it's like deep you know, deep, oh, deep, yeah. deep in the South. Like, I I can't help but think like that's one of the reasons why the Southern Outdoorsman podcast has been so successful. It's just because like you guys have tapped into that. And to your mm-hmm. point earlier, like, man, it's different hunting 500 acres of planted pines with like <clears throat> a hardwood drainage through the middle of it than oh, anywhere yeah. else. And, you know, the, the hunt clubs, that's a big one down South. Mm-hmm. Um, Rabbit dogs, squirrel dogs, dove season opener, like oh, what? Yeah, baby. You know, it's just it's a different, uh, different vibe, different element. 
you know? Yeah, I, I think that that's one reason that we made it, the Southern Outdoorsman, you know, was we're it's the culture thing because it, it yeah. is so different and uh, than like Illinois or something like that or Iowa or Wisconsin or, I mean, just like anywhere else, man, it's just, it's different. We have a different like tradition down here. Up there, they got like a like a five day gun season or whatever, mm-hmm. or they got a muzzleloader season. Um, Alabama's muzzleloader season is five days, and it's Monday through Friday, so nobody hunts it. You yeah. know, like except for like retired guys, <laughs> like <laughs> nobody hunts muzzleloader in Alabama. Our gun season opens the third Saturday in November and goes out on February tenth. You wow. can just gun hunt for like it feels like a whole year. I mean, you can gun yeah. hunt so much. Throughout really the whole South, all this, all the states in the South are like that. So like, we don't have a bow hunting culture like the Midwest has, Mm -hmm. you know, like everybody in the Midwest bow hunts, Mm -hmm. who's like a a deer hunter in the South. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of bow hunters, especially guys who are more like, uh, like probably like your average podcast listener who are more of like your mobile hunter. Like they're probably hunting out of a saddle or a lock on or or something like that. A lot more of those people are bow hunting because they're just, they're just like so invested in whitetail hunting that they'll listen to a podcast, you know, try to get better at it. So they're going to be bow hunters. But if you go to a family reunion, you go to Thanksgiving dinner, all your cousins probably hunt yeah, and they're probably all gun hunters. Yeah. And they probably all hunt at a hunting club, you know, sitting in a shooting house, which is great. Like that's the culture, man. And, and uh, there, like I said, there was nobody at the time, at least on like a big setting, who was promoting that or talking about yeah. it or whatever. There, there was like you know, like Primos, I guess they did some stuff, but still, it was it wasn't. They're they're hunting like the absolute best properties in the entire Southeast mm-hmm. that, that they highly manage. Awesome, that's great. But there was nobody putting anything out for the sixteen year old who's going to go hunt the local WMA who doesn't know the rules, doesn't know how to do it, doesn't know the etiquette. Yeah. So we wanted to produce something that would help that guy out, yeah. you know? And we just, we got a big response from it because people are like, finally, like someone it's relatable, yep. you know? Uh, and cause I mean, me and Jacob, we do that, all that same stuff. And I think one reason that it's been so successful is at the end of the day, when, when we get Scott seals on Scott hunts the same management area as us. I've heard about Scott and his gang since they were, since I was a kid is they're out there killing 150 inch deer every year. Yeah. And we're not even seeing does. Yeah. We see like one spike a year or something, you know, like when I was a kid, we were terrible, but we hear about these guys who are killing these giant deer and they're real secretive or whatever. Yeah. So I wanted to meet those guys since before I had a pot. I'm like, I want to figure out who this dude is and pick his brain. Yeah. And so we, we approached everything from that angle where we're, we're just like trying to get better. You know, me mm-hmm. and Jacob are, we're trying to ask these people questions because we want to know, mm-hmm. you know? So we're like learning alongside the audience. And I think, I think that's helped it a lot. I yeah. think that's made it more relatable, but I also think we get better content out of it because we don't ever assume anything. Yeah. Cause I don't know. I don't yeah. know what these people are about to say. Yeah. I don't know how this guy's killing 140 inch deer in the mountains every single year. Like that seems crazy. Like that seems impossible to me. So I'm not coming in with any preconceived notions and I'm asking out of like a genuine place of curiosity. And I, I think that's why it, so many people have found it helpful. And, and that's what's made us grow to where we're at right now. Yeah. 
Well, I know I listen podcast to podcasts like selfishly. Like, what can I learn here? What can I do? Yeah. And I've even, you were talking about like your backlog. You guys have done 490 episodes. Oh, yeah. I've gotten to where I search podcasts for like, mm-hmm. da, 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 and I'll go back almost like a Google search oh, in yeah. my podcast on stuff. What do you, th- do you feel like, um, I mean, obviously you've learned and grown a lot, but do you feel like your style of hunting has changed since you've been exposed? Because you have been exposed to like greatness, you know, in the (laughs) whitetail world on your podcast. Do you Mm -hmm. feel like you've changed since Uh, you started? Oh, yeah. I mean, I just feel like I've gotten better. Like me and Jake were actually talking about this like last week where last we had a pretty good year last year. Between the two of us, we killed like like a bunch of bucks like a mature yeah. bucks i killed i killed two mature bucks i shot one little basket rack i ain't gonna lie yeah but so i killed <laughs> i killed four last year i killed a doe that little i killed a, a, that smaller buck in georgia with my bow a little eight point in september or yeah. no, it was october but pre-rut i was like hey it's the fifth day of the hunt i'm like you're getting it <laughs> you know? um and then we killed a couple mature bucks in alabama after that Jacob killed two mature bucks in Bama. He killed one in Arkansas, Iowa. And we were talking about it. And I'm like, I feel like we're kind of starting to come into our own a little bit. Like mm-hmm. I feel a lot more confident than I used to. And part of that yeah. is just talking to all these guys. And like the biggest takeaway has been, you know, like woodsmanship. And that's yeah. what we kind of, we kind of weave that into everything we do now. We kind of preach about it. Like you need to be able to go out there and understand what you're looking at. Like, mm-hmm read sign why is the sign there what's the what you know read the habitat read the terrain and all those things are are like woodsmanship skills yep and at the end of the day the the woodsmen are the guys who are doing really really good yeah and so i feel like we've just become better woodsmen over the years and part of that is the podcast but also part of that is just us progressing as hunters like us spending more time in the woods and understanding what we're looking at and gaining more experience so it's like a couple years ago I would have walked into a spot and seen like a rub, you know, and I've been like, okay, shoot up the tree. Let's go. <laughs> Where's my snake? Where's, Where's my tree? And then I'd stand there for 45 minutes and be like, should I get in this tree or that tree? And now I'm like, I have a much higher, like, I know what I'm looking for now, yeah. you know, cause I've, I've talked to all these different guys of like, Hey, what kind of sign should I look for in this kind of area versus this kind of area? Yeah. If I'm in a really high deer density area, then the kind of sign I'm going to need to see to make myself get in a tree is different than if, if I'm in a really low deer density area. Yeah. If I'm hunting a place with really low deer density, then maybe that one rub is all I need. Yeah. You know? And, and so like being flexible and adaptable and stuff, like that's probably been the biggest change for me and probably Jacob too. Yeah. Is like, you just, you got to be able to, to assess the situation for what it is, no yeah. matter where you're at. Are you guys hunting totally mobile now? Pretty like, much. Yeah. Do you feel like uh, that's more of a hunting strategy thing or just you've hunted WMAs a lot where you can't put, you can't hang a ladder stand or something? Yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely probably more the ladder, but it it is both. I'm in a hunting club this year and we have one ladder stand that we're going to put out, but like, I'm really just kind of putting it out. To gar hole your buddies. To gar hole my buddies. You know, put them up so I can get downwind of them. Yeah. Johnny, we're gonna set you in the ladder stand. Oh yeah, you just baby. be ready. Buddy. Yeah, just be Don't. ready at any moment. Yeah. He's gonna hear me about thirty minutes before dark back there. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> he gets in there. There's no bow hanger, no nothing. Oh, He's got to yeah. hold his bow the whole time. Yeah, I think it. I think it's also the strategy too, because when you're mobile, you can just 
you it's like goes back to the adaptability thing you can just get up and move you know yeah. you can just go to where you need to go where you need to be yep. you know and it, and it might be way off back in the woods or we we had a hunt last year on my hunting club actually it was like this where I had I had a buddy of mine who's kind of newer, and I had my stepdad who's new, mm-hmm. and I was it was kind of raining that day, and they don't have saddles or climbers or anything yet, so I was like, y'all just go get in these shooting houses, you know, if a doe comes out, let her have it, and uh, I was like, where am I going to go? And I have my climber, and so I can go wherever I want, you know, mm-hmm. I can be mobile, and there was this there's a, a road that goes down through the saddle. It's pine thickets all over the place, and there's a saddle on the ridge, and a road goes right smack through the middle of it. And on one side of the road is thick pines, like as tall as the ceiling, you know, mm-hmm. 10, 15-year-old pines, thick understory. On the other side of the road was thin pines that are probably like 20-some-odd years old. Trees are about that big around, and they've got a decent understory. But there's tracks crossing the road. I'm like, well, I'm just going to hunt this. So I go 40 yeah. yards off the side of the road, climb up a tree. And I had, I saw like nine deer that morning. They yeah. didn't see any, you yeah. know, but that's what I was telling them. I'm like, even though we're on a hunting club and you got these established spots, as soon as you get off the beaten path, like, mm-hmm. dude, like those deer don't expect you to be in that pine tree 50 yards off the side of the road. And they're, yep. I'm watching, I want, I passed a buck, dude. He was paralleling the road. I mean, walking 30 yards off the edge of the road in the privet, mm-hmm. just feeding, not a care in the world. Nobody in the club is seeing that deer. Yep. Like these deer got those guys patterned. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I've, and I've, I'm the one, um, like out of my, my dad and like how we all used to hunt. Like I will go, I'll go hang a stand off my back or take a climber in or whatever. But I've, I've always noticed like a lot of times it's the stand that nobody's hunted in like two years oh. and it's grown up and yeah. it's like, take a pole saw with you. Like that's the dang spot. <laughs> and I want to start going more, more mobile this year just because like, yeah, I've got my lock on dialed in, but like, I can't help but think that deer skirt made a hundred yards. And so oh, yeah. one evening I'm just going to go hang in a different spot and just see what mm-hmm. happens. Yeah. There's some guys we talked to, like me and Jacob are public land guys. Yeah. Like that's pretty much all we've hunted for the last like 10 or so years. Uh, and I just now joined this club cause it's like five minutes out my house, out my front door and I got a three month old. So like I gotta yeah. take what I can get, you know? Yeah. And, uh, we we started interviewing some guys who were in hunting clubs who their entire strategy is based off that. Yeah. They're going to the, the stand that no one hunts or they're they're looking at where people like to go and they're looking at the wind that day and they're like, I'm gonna go get three hundred yards downwind of, you know, the whatever field that everybody always hunts. Yep. And they kill big bucks doing that. Yep. Consi- like every year. They get yep. like we know one guy who got kicked out of a hunting club because he bucked out two years in a row on the club. He killed six bucks off that club in two years. And they, they, kicked kicked, him out. they kicked him out. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, you can be that successful doing it. Yeah. You know? So that that's one thing that intrigues me about the hunting club thing, but it's staying mobile, you know, yeah. and, and realizing that the deer pattern the people, just like you try to pattern the deer. Uh, it's like a, it's like if you take a dog, you know, they learn by association. If they're like, mm-hmm. hey, every time we walk out in that food plot, one of us doesn't make it. Yeah. <laughs> like, maybe let's not go out there in daylight anymore, <laughs> you know? Uh, especially the bucks, man. Like, the bucks especially, you know, they'll, they'll swing downwind of that. An- another guy, he's like, I just hunt 40 yards downwind of these fields. Yeah. In, the, in those thick pines, that's where that's where all the action is. You know, yep. they're all hanging in the woods back there where you can't see from that shooting house. So, I don't know. You could go down a rabbit hole with that too. Oh yeah. Um, I didn't. I hardly even hunted the club last year, but this year I'm going to put a little bit more into it because I think I can. 
do pretty good out there. Yeah. Like using that tactic. Yeah. And we got a big response from it because actually most of our audience hunts leases or hunting clubs. Yep. Most of them aren't public land guys. Yep. So we started doing episodes like that and people were like, yes, do more. And we're like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, we were just hammering down on the public land thing for like three years. Yeah. <laughs> you know? How many, how many, um, wh- like, what do you think your, your percentage of public to private land hunters in your audience is? Is we it actually, mostly public, you think? We actually surveyed it one time. Uh, I think 70% hunt either private or public and private. Yeah. So, like, exclusive public is probably, like, sub-20% of mm-hmm. our audience, like, somewhere right in there. And um, But our guests are, like, kind of flip that. A lot yeah. of our guests that we talk to are exclusive public guys. Yeah. Um, because it, we just, we've had trouble finding, like, hunting club guys because, I don't know, a lot of our, our stuff, like our guest network comes from networking. Yeah. So it comes from like, hey, I met this guy. Who do you know? Yeah. I meet his buddy. Who do you know? Yeah. And you just get into like these webs of people, you know, and you network through them. And we just haven't made like that big inroad into like hunting club culture yet. Yeah. But we're trying to because, I mean, those guys, it's, especially after being in my hunting club for two years now, is really not that different. Yeah. From a, it's really not different from a WMA. <laughs> I, like, I mean, yeah. especially now if you're in like a really nice club that manages for trophy deer, like that's going to be different. Yeah. But for the most part, it's pretty freaking similar. Yeah. Like same terrain, same habitat, roughly the same amount of pressure, pressure. most of the time. Yeah. So it's just maybe a little more predictable because now I'll go on a WMA and I think I'm being slick walking down this gorge and up the other side and, you know, going to as far back as I can get and I get back there and there's like two other guys with saddles back there. I'm like, crap, <laughs> like this hunting style is getting a little too popular. <laughs> you know? And But at the hunting club, like I never run into that. These guys are only hunting shooting houses Yeah, and they are literally driving their four wheeler to the shooting house, yeah. parking it, climbing up and hunting and then leaving with five minutes of shooting light left, yeah. getting back, firing that bad boy up and getting out of there. I'm like, okay, you know, and they're very, very predictable, which is why I'm excited this year. I'm like, okay, let's put some effort into this. Cause like, now that I know how these guys hunt, maybe yeah. I can make a play off of that. Yeah. You know, like, like some of these guests that we've talked to have done. Yeah. It'd be interesting to just like <clears throat> sit in the shooting house and let, the buddy go on his four wheeler and just watch the deer pile into the clear cut after the four wheeler leaves. Oh, I got a story about that. <laughs> so that, that's actually that one time we, we had a whole theory about that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, our buddy, Michael Pike, who used to be on the show a lot, he had a theory that, you know, how many times do you hear about some, some guy like dropping off his, his 10 year old or 12 year old or whatever. And he leaves and he's almost back to his stand and he hears a gunshot and yeah. the kids shot a giant deer. Like that happens all the time. And yeah. we're like, why does that always happen? Well, we're like, maybe it happens because, or, or on the same thread, you go put a trail camera out and that first like 24 hours, you get a big buck on it. And then like never again. Um, why, why does that happen? And we're like, maybe it's a curiosity thing. Maybe they heard you come in and you left and now they feel safe. and They're going to come investigate and check it out because they're curious animals. So one time, we had a spot that we we all had some history with. We had uh, videos of bucks working a scrape next to this pine thicket. It's a it's a little bitty hard like steep drainage that comes down off a road, mm-hmm. and there's pine thickets on both sides. And we get videos of bucks hitting that scrape, and they go up in that pine thicket, and they're in there for like ten hours, and then they come back out. And so there's like usually some deer hanging out in there. 
Well, Michael and our buddy Clay walked into this spot to check that camera and the scrape had like just been worked. And my, I think, I think Michael was like, I oh, dude, I think that buck's like right in here. And come to find out that buck was laying like 80 yards up in the thicket, listening really? to him talk probably. And they, he had his gun with him. He's like, he's like, Clay, will you just like leave and like leave me in here and I'm going to get set up. And Clay's like, yeah, sure. So they found a little setup for Michael he got ready and then Clay like made some noise, walk like letting him know he was leaving, hit the gravel road at the top, crunch, 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 you know, walk down the gravel road. And it, it was probably like, I can't remember how long, but it wasn't long. And he heard something get up in the pine thicket and start walking around. He's like, okay, here we go. And it got up and, and came closer to the edge and then laid back down. And he sat there a little bit longer and eventually it came out. It was a big, I think it was a nine point, huge, yeah. nice deer for the area. Killed it at like 20 yards. Dude. <laughs> We're like, okay. And Michael, man, if you ever listen to Michael on the podcast, he's like a deer mad scientist. We're like, that was like the most Michael Pike thing ever. Yeah. Michael's the kind of guy, he'll get two sticks and hit him on the ground to sound like a deer walking. Like he'll be sitting on the ground hunting and he'll be like, you know, like that kind of stuff. <laughs> Making it sound like there's already deer, you know, milling around in there, making, you know, the other deer want to come out of the thicket. Yeah. I think there's something to that stuff. Yeah. But so he did that and killed a buck. So now we've always thought about like, hey, that's probably actually a decent tactic to try. Yeah. You know, go drop somebody off and leave. Yeah. And see what happens, you know. It's wild, man. And I mean, you know, I've talked about it with buddies and and like when we go hunt in Illinois in the Midwest, um, like... There's so many people hunting. There's so many, a, a deer cannot go through his day without smelling people or mm. encountering people. And mm. it's, it's, it's broken up and up there too, you know, like the wood lots and stuff, but you, you have to think that like, they've kind of got a little tips and tricks, how they can slide around oh, and yeah. figure us out because it's not like, you know, a deer can't escape up there anyway. And, and around here where we're at, like they can't escape. They're going to smell humans every day. They're going to encounter humans mm -hmm. every day. We don't have a thousand acres of pristine habitat, but like they've got ways of sliding around us. And mm -hmm. you know, we had, um, we used to do deer drives all the time. <clears throat> and, um, there was a group that would have a guy kind of holding back behind the drive. Oh yeah. And they'd kill giants that way yep. where a big buck would slip around and he'd be literally looking back at the drivers that are walking away and yep. they'd lay him out. My you mentor know? that I mentioned earlier, Ben mm -hmm. George, he, he's got, I should, I, I should have a picture of him, but I don't, he's got an eight, okay. Giant eight point that yeah. he killed in Alabama. I, I don't know. It's probably like 145 inch eight point. Dang, and, you know, like big mass, tall, huge deer. And he killed it. I think he was dog hunting. But yeah. same thing. He was hanging back and he caught that buck slipping back out the backside. Mm -hmm. And like, man, how often you hear about that? Like he's popping out the back, you know, he's not, he's not going tearing through there. And we've even had guys tell stories about uh, like a big deer, like watching them sneak, you know, where he'll like, uh, he'll he'll see some people like off in the distance or whatever, and he'll just like stand there and watch them and let them go by, and then he'll like go about his business or he'll mm -hmm. watch them. And if they kind of start angling too much, he'll like get low and like go down this little drainage and just avoid them. And he's not like blowing out of there like a doe does; he's just sneaking out. Yeah, uh, we got all kinds of cool stories about that, man. Like that's what they do. Like how often do they sit there and just look at you? Yep. And they're just like, yep, there's that guy again. Looks yep. like he's going back to that spot he always goes to. <laughs> My uncle shot one that was crawling one time. 
crawling through through the yep. brush to slip out of a drive. And I'd have never believed that if I didn't see it happen. Like, yep. yeah, he was crawling and just saw his rack, you know. Yep. I've heard that like too. Like I've heard a guy talk about a deer crawling behind a log, like mm-hmm. trying to stay low back there and, and stay hidden. Um, Benny one time, Ben George, he was squirrel hunting. This is only like two years ago. He was squirrel hunting in a place that we like to deer hunt called the bowl. It's just a big thermal hub. And he was squirrel hunting back there. And I think he was sitting up against a tree or whatever. And out of the corner of his eye, he caught a buck slipping in there real quiet. He caught the buck. He was looking this way. He caught it in his peripheral vision. And the deer like saw him and like froze. And it was like looking at him like this. And he didn't move or anything. And that buck just like as quiet as he could, like backed up a little bit and turned around and snuck right back out. Yeah. Didn't blow out or anything. That deer's like, oh, there's a dude right there. Yeah. And, and just snuck out. I'm like that to me, those are like the coolest stories ever. Cause it yeah. just makes me think about how many times this freaking giant buck has like watched me walk right by him and I never knew he even existed. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> make me feel bad Probably about myself. Make you sick if you actually knew. Oh man, dude. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Can't even imagine. Yeah, man. It's fun though. Like and that kind of goes back into the culture thing, like the deer drives and everything, the dog hunting. It's just it's it's uh especially the dog hunting, like it's it's unique. It's uniquely yeah. southern. The hunting club thing, it's just it's its own thing. Mm-hmm. And so like we just we want to promote it and like you know, bow hunting isn't the only thing. You know, bow hunting 180 inch whitetails in Iowa is awesome, but it's not the only thing out there. Yep. You know. Like even Jacob gives me crap about this because Jacob would rather go to Iowa and shoot like a giant deer. But like, man, and this is a hundred percent true. And Jacob would back me up on this, that that I would do this. But like, if you offered me like a 180 inch deer on like Mark Drury's farm in Iowa or like 135 inch deer on my local WMA, I'm going with that 135 every day of the week, man. That's just me. Like there's something about where we're at, the habitat, the nostalgia of it. Like, I don't know. That's what I want. You know, that's what I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. I want to kill a deer like that one day. You know, your giant, ridiculous, you know, Illinois deer over there. But, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give up on, you know, my Alabama stuff and like move to Iowa or something, which is what most people in the hunting industry do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like most people, there's a reason that they all live in Iowa. Oh, (laughs) it's nuts, man. And I feel like too, a lot of people want to, want to hunt where they grew up. And that's Mm -hmm. why honestly, like, that's why Illinois is like a special place for me is going back and hunt with my dad and everything. But to your point, like it has been since we moved to to Boone, it's rare for me to really get worked up over a buck. Like I love hunting the terrain, the scenery and all that kind of stuff. And when that deer came up last year, you like you can ask Zach, like I got into it, man. It's like <laughs> there was one time he was coming out because I, I could have killed him um it was Christmas Day. It got really cold and I could have shot him from from the house with a rifle for like two hours, you know, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to do it. I want to kill him with a bow. And there was one day I got a trail cam picture of him coming in the morning and I was in my stand an hour and a half before first light waiting on him, you know, yeah, and he buddy. never did come in that day. But, um, I've never done that for a North Carolina deer. But then when I saw that one, I was like, man, that's, you know, he's 140 inch deer, like, mm-hmm. but man, to do it right here. And he was an old deer. It would have been so cool. Oh so. yeah, man. That's, that's what I'm talking about, dude. That's like, that's what I get into. Yeah. I missed 140 inch deer in Alabama last year. Yeah. It was, it was, it was rough. <laughs> so what, uh, what's the strategy going to be now that you've got uh, a three month old? How's that going to change? 
they going with me. Figured out yeah. as you go. Oh yeah. Like we're like I was talking about Arkansas and stuff. We're getting an Airbnb and they're coming. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's cool. Oh, yeah. So we're gonna. She works from home, so she can kind of like go wherever. Yeah. So we we gonna bring them. And, yeah. Uh, I don't know. We are gonna play it by ear. Yeah. She was so her due date was uh, April third. Okay. And Alabama's turkey season starts March twenty fifth. I'm like, ouch. Okay. Yep. Didn't time that one great, but. Tiffany's over here looking at me but hey I got a a solid week of hunting in and I killed a turkey Tiffany actually roosted turkeys with me like three days before she was born Yeah, she's she's out there I mean like about to pop and we roosted (laughs) some turkeys and I went back in the next day and killed one Yeah, and then then after that you know having a newborn at the house like that was kind of a baptism by fire because it was turkey season so I'm like how much can I am I actually be able to do yeah and I got out a couple times but that's where that hunting club came in handy yeah because it's five minutes out the door so quick hunt here quick hunt there but we're gonna play it by ear man we had uh our little girl Brooklyn she was due December 10th so I'm like I've got my my rut plan I've got all my all my things planned you know and I'm like yeah I'm gonna go deer hunt then we're gonna come home have a baby it's gonna be fun (laughs) I was on a conference call with Winchester on October 28th. I was getting all my work done, getting stuff lined up with them, and then I was going to go deer hunt. And Kim called me three times in a row, like while I was on the conference call. I didn't want to switch over. I was like, guys, I got to, I got to get off this call. I got to take this. This is Kim, you know. Well, she went into labor early on October 28th. She went into labor. You want to talk about bad timing? (laughs) October 28th is not great. Not, I mean, that wasn't my thought at the time. Yeah. I was like, okay, this is like a little over six weeks early. Um, and Brooklyn just came early, man. Like, so, but Boone does not have a big enough hospital to handle anything, uh, earlier than five weeks premature. So they sent us down to Winston to Wake Forest and everything was fine. Like Brooklyn was six and a half pounds when she was born. She just came early, man. They Mm. might've had her due date a little off too, but Brooklyn, totally healthy and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, my rut was done. You know, I mean, I thought I had everything planned out. Oh, yeah. Dude, it would just, it was, it was toast. Wrecked the rut. Wrecked. That's hilarious. Yeah. But, she was born uh, one day late. And uh, I think, I think she was born on a Tuesday and yeah. I killed a turkey on Monday. Yeah. Mon- Sunday or Monday. Yeah. So I, I got that turkey. I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm like, uh, dude, I hunted so hard that first week because I'm like, we're about to have this baby. We were getting after it. And then I killed that turkey. I was like, all right, yeah. I'm satisfied, you know. And it's my it's, biggest turkey ever, too, It gets man. easier when they get older, too. I mean, the newborn phase, just a lot, man. It's a lot of stuff. Man, I'm already looking Especially forward to one. her being able to, like, go with me. Like, yeah. I can't wait. Dude, I just sit around and think about it all the time. Like, yep. when she can walk around and stuff, I can be taking around the woods. We can go flip over some rocks and look for bugs and stuff. <laughs> yep. It's going to be awesome. Yep. I cannot wait, for real. I've tried to take – I try to, like, make games and stuff with Rhett. I was like, all right, Rhett, we're going to walk this ridge, and the first one to break a, break a stick loses. You know, oh. so you're teaching him to, like, walk over and not break sticks and stuff like that. Oh, that's but slick. I'm, it's I'm, pretty cool, man. I don't even remember that. You got a lot of fun stuff ahead of you. Yeah, dude, it's, it's going to be awesome, man. She's fun. Even the newborn phase, like, she, it is so fun, dude. Yep. She starts smiling at you. Like, there's nothing better. There's really the, not. The proudest moment as a father is, like, when we'll see, we'll see a deer coming down the road. I'm like, hey, guys, look at that deer. And I roll down the windows, and both of them start going, meh, 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 you know? And uh, it's like, yes, I'm doing something right as a dad. Oh, yeah. Uh, with me, I'm like. 
uh, you know, she's like making all her little baby coos and stuff. I'm like, hey, won't be too long. She'll be able to, you know, rip out a good owl call. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See if we can't get some locate calls going. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It'll be fun, man. Yeah. Well, dude, I appreciate you being on yeah. and telling a little bit about the the Southern Outdoorsman podcast and the early days. And Yeah, dude. Um, I appreciate you having me up here. Your studio is awesome it's cool man I'm quite jealous we got a good setup when we get our studio up and roll i'm gonna have to call you get some uh, advice on decoration and stuff this, i mean this place casting. is like world class i mean yeah. seriously this place is impressive yeah so yeah i appreciate, we appreciate it man. well um thank you for being here again and yeah. uh be sure to check out the uh southern outdoorsman podcast i found out about you guys through zach zach actually was like hey man you ever heard of this podcast and uh, I was like, no, man, I hadn't. So then I started listening to you guys, and I'm a, I'm a fan. Nice. So. Appreciate it, Zach. We're going to have to give you a free sticker, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so check it out, and uh, thanks for joining us on this episode of the Art of Hunting Podcast.